0: Welcome. You're listening to The Sanctuary Podcast with Pastor Tullian Chavijan. If you'd like to learn more about The Sanctuary, visit our website, thesanctuaryjupiter.com. I've uh, shared this before from this pulpit, but I have been involved in two interventions in my life. If you've ever been a part of an intervention, it's typically a situation where someone that you love, a friend or a family member who's in trouble, usually it revolves around some form of addiction, doesn't recognize that they're in trouble or they don't want to believe that they're in trouble. And so friends and family members gather together and sort of surprise this person uh, and try to help them see that they, in fact, need help. I've been a part of two of those in my lifetime. In both cases, people I loved needed help, but they thought they were fine. They didn't know that they needed help or they didn't think that they needed help or they, at the very least, thought that whatever their problem was, they could get a handle on it. Trying to persuade someone that they need help when they don't think that they do is hard. If you've ever been a part of something like that. Well, the verses I just read announce the greatest intervention that this world has ever known, ever. But like every other intervention, we need to be persuaded that our situation is beyond our control. That we are personally powerless to fix whatever's broken in our lives or in this world we love to celebrate christmas i know i do but all too often we forget why christmas was even necessary in the first place god becoming a human god taking on human flesh and frailties i mean sure the situation may not have been good but it wasn't so bad that it needed divine intervention I mean, God becoming a human, isn't that a bit of a divine overreaction to things? Are things that grave? Am I that broken? Is this world that broken that we need God to show up in human form to fix the problem? See, every instinct we have cries out against the reality of personal powerlessness. Wherever we turn, we're told that we can accomplish anything, that we can do anything. If we just focus, if we just try hard and focus, we can, we can fix whatever's broken. But if we look a little deeper, we can't escape the fact that we, all of us, need outside help. I read this from a friend not long ago in an article. He writes this. The poet W.H. Auden once wrote, Nothing that is possible can save us. We who must die demand a miracle. My friend went on to say, many of the problems we face on a daily level can be fixed or at least addressed. If our car breaks down, we can take it to the garage. If we get a headache, we can take some aspirin. If we say something mean, we can apologize and so on and so forth. Auden's meaning becomes clearer when we consider problems of a less everyday nature, the kind that keep us up at night. I was speaking with a friend recently who had just separated from his wife. He told me, I've done everything I can think of. Even couples counseling hasn't helped. She just doesn't want me. It's going to take a miracle to save our marriage. He had pursued all the right options and nothing had worked. The problem was simply beyond him. So it is with us. Our condition is not fixable. That is, we can empirically say that the solution to human nature has not been found in the realm of what's possible. We need a miracle to save us. You may think that's a bit of an overstatement, an exaggeration. We re- really? We need a miracle to save us? We need outside help of a divine sort to save us? Well, let me ask you this. Have you been able to eliminate fear and anxiety from your life with focus and hard work? Have you been able to rid yourself of your deepest insecurities? Have you been able to satisfy your deep need to be known and loved? Have you been able to do away with your feelings of regret and shame and guilt? What is it that you can't let go of and why? Where inside of you is there an unforgiveness towards someone who hurts you that just paralyzes you, that you can't seem to get rid of no matter how hard you try? See, we've been trying, the human race has been trying for thousands of years, okay? And we still can't cure the universal ache of loneliness and fear and emptiness and guilt and hopelessness and regret and sorrow and so forth. It's probably my mother. I have no doubt that that's my mother calling. <laughs> Why haven't you called your mother? It's Christmas Eve. Just kidding, mom. Uh, <laughs> we, 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 I'm like, how did you get their number, mom? I, yeah. <clears throat> so we've been trying. I mean, human history is a testimony to the fact that we have been trying for thousands and thousands of years to cure problems that are beyond us. We might be able to make advances in science. We might be able to make advances in psychology, in our understanding of the human condition. We may make uh, advances technologically. We may even make it to outer space. But in terms of solving the deep existential problems that have plagued us since Genesis chapter 3, things like loneliness, fear, regret, shame, guilt... Sorrow, hopelessness, emptiness, those sorts of things, uh, we have been unable to solve those problems on our own. The best human minds have tried for thousands of years. Science tells me that I'm a blob of protoplasm. Historians tell me about my past and statisticians tell me about my future. Psychologists liken me to a rat running through a maze and philosophers try to give me reasons for running. But when they're all finished with their little speeches, when they're all done with their little speeches, there's nothing but the cold, dead, hollow, empty silence. And all we're left with are the Apostle Paul's words at the end of Romans 7 where he says, who will rescue me? I've tried everything. I've done everything I thought I could do. Who who will rescue me? In fact, he says, who will rescue me from this body of death, O oh, wretched man, that I am? You see, until we can admit how helpless we are, we'll never see Christmas for what it truly is, a divine intervention. Christmas is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, but for many, it's the most painful. It's that time of year when budgets break, when you're reminded of how dysfunctional your family is. <laughs> uh, When you miss the people that you love, either because they've died or maybe they've left you, they've abandoned you. Maybe you're still single and Christmas is a painful reminder that you're alone and can't find the love you long for. Or perhaps you and your spouse can't have children and seeing families together at Christmas only intensifies the ache of infertility. For some of you, this is your first Christmas as a divorcee. And figuring out how to shuffle your kids back and forth between you and your ex on Christmas day is a brand new pain for you. I've experienced that. I know what that one feels like. For others, you're afraid it will be your last Christmas because of your recent diagnosis. Or you're afraid that it will be your last Christmas with your mom because of her recent diagnosis or your dad. A lost job, a daughter who won't call you even on Christmas day, A son you haven't talked to in years, a father who can't get sober, a sibling in rehab. I mean, Christmas reveals our deepest frustrations and fears. It unmasks our most sincere sadnesses and sorrows, our our brokenness, our, our bitterness, all of our unfixedness. It brings that stuff to the surface. Christmas, in other words, has a painful way of revealing why the first Christmas was so necessary. Believe it or not, it doesn't sound too joy to the worldish to say this, but um, I mean, Christmas really does expose our desperation. But it doesn't stop there, it doesn't just expose our desperation. More importantly, it announces our deliverer the one who promises rest to the weary and to the burdened, the one who promises to never leave us or forsake us, no matter what, come hell or high water. Christmas tells us that God came into the real world of divorce and addiction and broken families and shame and stress and anxiety and depression and job loss and unfulfilled longings and crippling fears. That world, your world, my world, God came into that world, the real world. Christmas is a reminder that it's into our mess, in the middle of it, that God sends his mercy. That it's into our darkness, as the passage says, that God sent light. Christmas sets in motion this divine pattern of God drawing near to us, not because we do it right, but because we keep doing it wrong. I think oftentimes we misunderstand what God is attracted to. We think God is attracted to goodness and cleanliness and rightness and all of that stuff. And so what do we do? We try to clean ourselves up and make ourselves right. And do all the right things by crossing the T's and dotting the I's in the hopes that maybe, just maybe, God, on that basis, will accept us, will approve of us. But we get the heart of God all wrong when we think that he's attracted to our cleanliness, our goodness. You see, Christmas sets in motion the divine pattern of God drawing near to us Not because we do it right or because we've done it right or because we may one day do it right, but because we keep doing it wrong. Christmas reveals a God who knows your deepest struggles and darkest secrets. He knows all the things you don't want anyone else to know. God knows that stuff about you. He knows that stuff about me. And none of it, none of it, none of it causes him to blink, causes him to bail. Causes him to question his decision to love you. None of it. In fact, he came for you because of those things, not despite those things. See, these verses tell us plainly that it wasn't our decency and our strength that summoned God, it was our dirtiness, it was our need. It is our guilt that fetches God's grace, not our goodness. It is our badness, our need, our guilt, our shame. It's that stuff, the messy stuff, the stuff we don't like to talk about. That's the stuff that summons God's mercy. That's the stuff that attracts God's grace. Christmas is the celebration of Paul's words in Romans 5:20 where he says, "Where there is a lot of sin, there is even more grace." Where there is a lot of sin, there's even more grace. That you can never, ever outsend the coverage of God's forgiveness. That God's love for you is not dependent on what you do or don't do, it is dependent entirely and exclusively on what's been done for you. That because Jesus came into this world and fulfilled all of God's holy conditions, our relationship to God can now be wholly unconditional. That's why God doesn't blink or bail. Not because we're getting better. Maybe we are in some ways and maybe we're getting worse in other ways, but our performance has no bearing whatsoever on the way God feels about us. None, none, no bearing. It is Christ's performance for us that guarantees God's affection forever. God's acceptance forever. God's love forever. See, Christmas is a reminder that your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace and your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. And so from the unintelligible cries of a baby lying in a manger, God shouts, I've got this, I've got it. All of this is for you. Let's pray. If you've enjoyed this message, be sure to subscribe to The Sanctuary Podcast. You can find it on all major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening to The Sanctuary Podcast.